please, I will make a bit more enthusiasm. <laughs> just to encourage me. Even if you don't feel like it, just pretend that you're excited. <laughs> My name is UD. I am married to the most lovely lady. If you're wondering who, Angie. Uh, we worship in a church far away. Encounter Elaine Sadiok. I don't know if you've heard of that church before. It's a wonderful place to be. And I bring you greetings from my family, the church. Praise God. It's good to be here once again. This morning, I just want to set the stage. I would tell us a story from the scripture. And I'll read it or So I encourage you to pay attention. Uh, please don't doze off. Just listen to the words of the scripture. I want to believe that as I read the word, God will speak to you via the words that he had already spoken. So even if you don't get to hear anything after the passage that would have read, I'm trusting that the spirit of God through the word that will be read will breathe life to you. So like I said, please don't do so. It'll be a very long passage, 17 verses to be precise. I'll divide that story into two segments. I'll pick out reflections and then we pray. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, the boring part might be the reading because I wouldn't talk too much. And then we'll divide it into two parts and then we pray. Are you still with me? Yeah. Before we start, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for an opportunity to hear your words once again. Thank you because we can come into the place where you are just as we are. And Lord, we have come to you. We've not come to any man, but we have come to you. And therefore, Lord, by your spirit, would you speak to us? Would you perfect the very purpose for which you have brought us from our different houses to this place? Perfect that in our lives. Let your word bring comfort. Let it bring hope. Let it bring salvation. Let it bring deliverance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So I'll be reading Acts chapter 12 from verses 1 to 16. I know we're not very used to reading large chunks of scripture on a Sunday morning, but permit me to do that. Acts chapter 12 from verse 1 to 16, I read. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains 
between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Mm. Then the angel said to him, Guard yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street. And immediately the angel departed from him. Mm. And when Peter had come to himself and said, Now I know, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And so when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. When many were gathered together praying. Mm. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. Mm. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, <laughs> but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And they said to her, you are beside yourself, yet she kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Praise the Lord. I hope it wasn't that hard reading that long passage. I find this story quite impressive on so many levels, but we're not really going to go into much of that. Like I said, we divide it into two segments, and I've called it a story of two cells. Cell, C-E-L-L. And we'll come later to find out why I divided it into two parts. But before we do that, verse 1 said, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass him from the church. Looking at that phrase, now about that time, talks about a period of time. And before we just go into the story, let me just quickly give us a background of the context in which these events happened. This was just following of a period that was maybe a first for the church. You know, they had, first of all, they had a bit of internal rivalry. They appointed seven deacons who, uh, beyond serving tables, these guys were equipped with the Holy Spirit and went about preaching. One of them, Stephen, uh, unfortunately was killed because persecution broke out, led by the man called Saul. So there was like an internal division. They brought a solution to settle it. It didn't, it worked internally, but then an external persecution also arose. 
and it was like things were happening to the church from inside and from outside. Stephen was killed. The first time a member of the church at that time, you know, will be killed for believing in Jesus. It was an uncertain time. It led to a scattering of the church. Many of them scattered beyond the regions of Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem. They went as far as Antioch. And the word of God also spread in those regions that the people fled to. Uh, a few chapters later, the persecutor in chief, Saul, news filtered in that he was saved. And so the church rejoiced. It was like God has answered our prayers. We are no longer being you know, tormented. Things would, in a sense, settle. And even Acts chapter 9, verse 31, captures it this way, that the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. And they were defied. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And they were multiplied. So it was like, yes, it can't be any worse than what just happened. And it, it, it was as though God was trying to, you know, assure them that, yes, we are in good times. Uh, Peter then gets a vision in Acts uh, between 10 and 11, gets a vision of uh, somebody coming, calling on to him. Uh, sorry, a vision of, of, of a sheep from heaven. And the interpretation was God was also reaching out to the Gentiles. And so he goes to the house of uh, Cornelius, a centurion, a Roman, and the Spirit of God baptized the Gentiles. It couldn't be more amazing than that. It wasn't just the Jewish people, but the grace was also extended to the Romans, to the enemy of the cross, so to speak. And so it was a great time for the church. Things were working very well. And then a new sort of threat arose. A man called Herod the king, one of their own, a Jewish man for that matter, arose and decided to harass the church. And the way he started was go to the twelve, not just the other disciples, the ones that believed later, but the ones that walked with Jesus, he picked James, the brother of John, and killed him. So this was a new level of threat, something they have never witnessed before. I want to believe or imagine that in those days they would have thought that at least the twelve were immune uh, to the dangers. They walked with Jesus and they were the ones that were showing them, you know, displaying the power of God, uh, so to speak. But Herod stretched out his hand killed James. As though that wasn't enough, he arrested Peter and put him in prison. And there begins the first segment of our story. The first cell, the prison cell. Here we find Peter in prison. The Bible says that he was put between four squads of soldiers and he was chained his movement was restricted. He was in a very uncomfortable position, perhaps not unfamiliar because he's been to prison before that time. But this time around, he had chains on his hands. There were soldiers beside him, and there were two guarding the door. I felt a bit confused when I read that that night, 
Peter was sleeping. I would have thought that in such a condition, the first thing Peter should have been doing would have been to pray, right? But then it dawned on me that there are some challenges you face sometimes that you become so helpless, so exhausted that you just can't do anything physically. Perhaps Peter was in such a condition and I don't know if you've been in a situation where there was there is no other action for you to take than to sort of resign to perhaps a certain future. And that was the condition Peter found himself in this cell. He was sleeping. Interestingly, the church was praying for him. We'll come to that, but let's just focus on Peter for a bit. As Peter was sleeping, the Bible said, suddenly a light shone, an angel came. And he struck Peter on the side and said, Arise quickly. His chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Get up, put your sandal on. Think about it this way. Roman prison cells, from my understanding, are not very large spaces. They're quite constricted, restricted. So if Peter was there chained in his hands to two people, the assumption would be that those two persons or two soldiers were in the same space with him. True or false? The angel comes into that same space. The Bible talks about Peter but no reference to the soldiers. We were not told the soldiers were sleeping. You would imagine that they would be keeping watch over this prisoner because he was going to be presented to the people to obviously be killed the next morning. So if for anything, they would be keeping watch. Or maybe one person would be alert, keeping watch, and the other person would be asleep. But I find it interesting to read this entire narrative and there was no suggestions that the, uh, the soldiers were aware of the visitation of the angel. Even when Peter thought he was seeing a vision, the Bible was careful to remark what was going on in the heart of Peter but no reference to the soldiers. And that comes my first point, my first reflection. You know the man who is asleep but aligned to the purpose of God can be more aware of divine realities than the man who is watchful but outside of the purpose of God. So the soldiers were doing a purpose, were carrying out a task they were given an assignment, and I want to believe they were diligent about it, but they were oblivious of what God was doing, because what they were doing was outside of the purpose and intention of God. That's my first lesson from the first cell. You may be struggling. You may be in a position where you feel helpless, but so long as you are centered in the purpose of God, there is a possibility you will still be conscious and sensitive to the realities of God. And my prayer really from this verse is that God will keep us centered regardless of our weaknesses, regardless of whatever we are facing. 
God would always keep us aligned to his will. In Jesus' name. And the second lesson, still in that same verse or encounter. Peter thought he was seeing a vision. And didn't realize that what was happening was real. Even when the angel struck him, he still thought, no, that can't be real. The angel spoke to him. That's not possible. Maybe he was confusing what was happening with the lack of reaction from the soldiers around him. The Bible did say that the angel took him and he disappeared off the cell and landed in the street. There was motion. The chains fell, made some noise. The angel struck him. He woke up. He might have, I don't know, stuttered or whatever. It wasn't a noiseless or silent event or series of events. So Peter could have been thinking, surely this can be real. Because if it's real, I'm not the only one around here. I should, this, these people should be seeing what I'm seeing. Maybe God is just showing me a vision. And my second reflection for that from, from this interaction or from this you know, reflection is this. Our consciousness or our feelings are not exactly the most accurate indicators of the acts of God. For instance, you want to pray or you're, you have a nudge for, for whatever reason. You can't explain. You feel like, I need to get away from this crowd, find the quiet moment and pray. Uh, that impression is strong. Uh, but you're thinking, nah, maybe it's not from God really. Uh, I don't feel the presence of God, therefore it can't be from God. Or maybe God has not actually been dealing with me this way because uh, when he comes around, my hair, my hair stands and there's a way I feel. I want to encourage you this morning that your feelings are not reliable indicators of the acts of God. So what God is doing in your life should not necessarily be judged by how you feel or don't feel. What God is doing is what God is doing. Yours is to, like Peter, follow when the prompt is to follow. Stand when the prompt is to stand. Put your sandal on when the prompt is to put your sandal on. Forget what your logic is saying. Forget what is happening. Forget whether every other person around you is reacting in the same way to the leading of the Spirit. The Bible would say, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So focus on the leading, not the feeling. Praise the Lord. And then we go on to the second cell. We'll still be rounding up. We'll finish with the first cell, the prison cell, the Roman cell. So we come to the second cell, the prayer cell. The Bible says that when Herod arrested Peter, verse 5, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. This actually spoke to me on so many levels. First of all, James had been killed the first time such was happening. One of the 12 has been touched and killed 
and then Peter was arrested. The church could have scattered like they did in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, right? They could have just dispersed, left Jerusalem completely. Maybe God was asking them to depart from Jerusalem. If, if, the, if the 12 are to be touched, then there's no safety for us. That's one possibility. They can actually also want to pray, but perhaps not pray for Peter because James had been killed. So the precedence is the first person was killed. It's not likely Peter will survive. So what do we pray? Let's pray for the strengthening of the people that are left. You know, sometimes when we want to pray, we look at the possibilities of our prayer, the logic of our prayer. And so my first lesson from this is that when you are inspired to pray, pray. Don't think about how God is going to answer this prayer. Just pray. Pray specifically for what God has laid in your heart. Don't bother yourself about the logistics of the process of the answering. That is God's job role. You are not God. The Bible says to him who answers prayer, to him all flesh comes. The answering of the prayer is God's prerogative. The praying of the prayer is your responsibility. Does that make sense? The church prayed for Peter. And I will come back to this part in, in, by looking at a later verse. The church prayed for Peter. They didn't, the Bible says they didn't pray for strengthening by the Holy Spirit. They were not praying God received his, his soul in heaven when he eventually comes home or raise another Peter who would stand as the pillar of the church. The Bible says they prayed for Peter. We don't know the exact contents of the prayer. And then we come to verse 16 in relation to that prayer. When the lady Rhoda ran to say, Peter is here. And they said, no, it's not. It's not Peter. It's not possible. And it made me chuckle a bit. You were praying for Peter, but when the, the answer to your prayers came, you were arguing with that answer. Said it's not Peter. Now, the church was quick to believe that it was his angel, but they found it difficult to believe that Peter was at the door. And then I thought about myself, how many times I believe that God can do what he did in the scriptures, but perhaps not in 2023 anymore. But I'll still pray for strength. I'll still pray for grace. I'll still pray for help. But I think I resign it to a timeline. Mm. Bible days. God can save a sinner. A wretched sinner like Paul. Mm. Uh, but he can't save a horrible boss in the office. Mm. Because that man is too horrible. I don't know if you, if you get the point I'm trying to make. Mm. So sometimes we, we pray for things, but we don't align our beliefs to the possibility of the answers that can only come from God. And that's part of my lesson also from this prayer cell. When I pray, 
remember to whom I am praying. Just be conscious every time you're praying that you're not praying to a man, you're not praying to an authority, you're praying to God. And he is a God that answers prayer. On season prayer was prayed by the church for Peter. It wasn't a resignation of faith. They didn't focus the prayer on the sustenance of the church. And this, for me, is an encouragement for someone, regardless of the hopelessness of the situation you're praying about. Don't stop praying. Luke chapter 18, from verses 8, 7 and 8. Uh, the, Jesus made an encouragement. He said, nevertheless, God will intervene for his elect who pray ceaselessly day and night. But the caveat is when he comes, will he find faith? When the answer comes, will you still be there? You know, expecting that answer. And that also brings me to a part of the story which I quite found interesting. Uh, Peter came to the door, to the gate of the house of prayer. The prayer, if you call it the coincidence, brought Peter. There was no navigator. Of all the places he could, he could go to that night, he went to the place of prayer, where prayer was being made by the church for him. And when he got there, a girl named Rhoda, I found it very interesting that the Bible called the girl's name. And when I was thinking about it, I bothered to check the name. Rhoda means rose. It's a fragrance. And it just, it just made me understand that sometimes the way God works is that when you pray for something, there is an aroma, a fragrance of grace that comes before the arrival of that answer. And so Rhoda was the one who went to the door for the people. Rose went to the door and then came back with the report. Our prayers have been answered. Peter is here. So you're praying about that brother of yours. You're praying about that thing. And there's a prompt in your heart to rejoice that the answer has come. That is not the time to argue. The Bible says that they kept arguing with rules. It's not possible. She insisted because she's a fragrance, a representation of the fragrance of her answer, the fragrance of God's grace that delivers the response to our prayers, to our doorstep. She kept insisting, Peter is here. So it is the spirit, it is angel. Verse 16, our reader says, Now Peter continued knocking. Did you remember that in the course of the story, when the angel was with Peter, the Bible said they came to the city gate. What happened? It opened of its accord. The first automatic door. That's where the concept came from. So as they were approaching the gates, the door opened. That's what God is able to do. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead, the stone was rolled away supernaturally. So God has capacity. He has ability to roll away stones. The Bible will say in Psalm 24, Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, that the King of glory may come in. And who is this King of glory? The Lord God Almighty. 
the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. So gates cannot really stand the presence of God, right? God can open doors. But when Peter came to the place where prayer, he was like an answer, a delivery man. God didn't intervene. God didn't interrupt. God just let them. You keep arguing while Peter remains at the gate. And so the lesson I learned from there is it is your responsibility to open the gate of your heart to receive the answers that God has delivered to your door. He will not come from heaven. I think perhaps that's what I would choose to call the protocol of faith. God will not come from heaven to force the gates of your heart open. It is your task. It is your responsibility to open the door of your heart and receive what God has given to you. Otherwise, it will still be outside while you will be inside arguing with your logic. So while the church who was praying was arguing, Peter was on the other side of the gate knocking. This particular gate was not going to open. The automatic function was halting. It needed to be opened by the church. Remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Scripture says that when Jesus came to the tomb, he said to them, you guys rolled the stone, so you remove the stone. He wasn't going to roll away the stone for them. But then when Lazarus came forth, he was bound. Scripture said that he was bound, hands and feet came out. So for some reason, there was a force from God that brought him out. Could that same force not have rolled away the stone? But God wasn't going to do that. You put the stone, you remove the stone. And so the lesson I learned from there is when God brings the answer to your door, open it quickly. Thankfully, Peter kept knocking. Peter kept knocking. And then when they opened the door, that's what the Bible said. When they opened the door, they saw him. So until they opened the door, they did not realize that the answers to their prayers have been delivered. That's where I'm going to stop tonight. Uh, this morning, sorry. And then we will pray. We're just going to pray three things. The first one is just like the disciples. Perhaps you're here and there's a door or a gate of your heart that you need to open. I want you to ask the Lord for grace to help you unlock that gate. And just to help you, that gate could be a gate of unbelief. It could be a gate of unforgiveness. It could be a gate of, you just don't believe that there's a way God can possibly answer. Uh, that's, that's another part of unbelief. You just, you just can't figure it in your head. You know, the scriptures will say in Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 17 that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, uh, we may then be able to know the hope of his calling. There are only things we can know when our eyes are open to know them. And so this morning, I want you to just pray. First of all, if there are gates in your heart that needs to be opened, mm. receive strength from God to open those gates.
to do what you need to do. Perhaps it's to receive strength, uh, to send that application, or to speak to that person, or to just share a thought, a story, or to reach out and pray for somebody that God has been impressing in your heart to pray for, or it could be to accept Jesus into your heart. Uh, maybe you, you are thinking about it, the possibility of, yes, God exists. I think I can, I can attest to that. Uh, but I'm not quite sure that I can have a relationship with him. Uh, maybe this morning is an opportunity for him, for you to say to him, Lord, I open the gate of my heart. Come in. Come in. And make my heart your residence. And then the second prayer is that maybe there are gates that need to open of their own accord. Uh, these ones are beyond you. They're beyond your capacity. I want you to ask that God will send supernatural grace to make that way open. Uh, the children of Israel needed to cross over into the other side from Egypt. Uh, there was a sea in front. There were mountains beside them. And there was the approaching armies of Egypt behind them. It was a dead end. Except God steps in, they would have been slaughtered. But then God stepped in and he stepped in big. The Bible said the waters parted. And so maybe this morning there are waters that need to part. Uh, there are doors that need to open of their own accord. It's not your business to figure out how. It is God's specialty to open such doors. I want you to just pray and command those doors in faith to open. And then the third prayer, we're going to just be praying for us as a church and for this church and for the church in general. It does not matter what will happen. It does not matter what is happening. Can you pray that we as God's people will remain centered in his will? We will remain focused. We will remain unshaken. We will remain immovable. Because he that is for us is greater than those who are against us. As so, a Lord, we just want to thank you for your word that you have sent for. The Bible says that you sent your word and you delivered us from all our destructions. Mm. Lord, we ask this morning that gates that need to open of their own accord will open. Mm. Lord, we ask that if it needs you stepping into that situation uh, that appear hopeless and helpless, uh, would you send a force this morning mm. into those situations, into those circumstances and bring, Lord, supernatural deliverance. Mm. And help us also, Lord God Almighty, to open the gates of our hearts to you, mm. to align ourselves to your purposes, to your counsel, to your ways and to your will. Uh, Lord, we are open for you to do what only you can do. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. For in Jesus' name we are prayed.
Amen. Amen.